Welcome back to Boilers Extra. I am Nathan Baird from the Journal and Career, along with the Corky Lamb Sports Writer of the Year in Indiana, Mike Carmen. Well, two seconds before we had to get that out, right? <laughs> I wanted to sneak it in early. I know you're not going to say it yourself, but congratulations Thank on you. on your recognition. And Thank you. um, and um, now I don't know if a lot of people know Corky Lamb. I, guess I don't you, actually. You, you I would could, love for you to enlighten me. You would uh, you would have to Google. Him, but uh, he was a reporter at the Indianapolis News, which used to be the afternoon paper okay. in the in the Circle City. Um, and one, I don't believe the award was named for him <laughs> back when he won it. Uh, but he, I think he won this award several times. Uh, but he was also an illustrator. He was a writer, but also he would draw illustrations with some of his stories. Oh wow. Uh, and so, the, I mean, we're talking old school newspaper stuff, uh, which I'm not sure the age bracket that listens to our podcast would really. <laughs> it's all really old understand. school newspaper yeah. stuff to a lot of our listeners. So he added that element to his his writing. I will not be adding any of that to any of my I think stories. that's one of the requirements, isn't it? Like once you, Unless you have to start drawing, yeah. you become basically like a sketch artist as you're sitting up there at the Purdue women's basketball games. Right, but it would be all stick figures. <laughs> so, well, that's a little background on Corky because yep. some people have asked about, well, who, who's Corky? It's like, well, you know, first of all, you can Google him and figure it out on your own. Uh, but that's a little background on him. Interesting. Um, so, I, I think that would be, you know, what would we do if we had to do that from games today, where we just we have to, you know, sketch something out, and as, as opposed to running, uh, having our, our friend Frank Oliver or. Um, one of the wire services give us that fine art that we use every day. I'm not sure that you could get that done at the buzzard. You're <laughs> well, yeah, one more thing you, I have yeah, to do yeah, on deadline. Yeah, the sketch at the buzzard. I'm not sure that uh, that's one that would uh, one that would happen. Uh, you know, it wouldn't really even be tweeting. It would be, or um, it wouldn't be. I shouldn't say sketching. It would be something in Photoshop. It would be something with. Uh, a stylus that we're drawing on an iPad or something. It wouldn't, mm-hmm. it wouldn't even be the, the, the old school newspaper cartooning. Right. Yeah. So I, I assume his background is in probably in, in cartoon drawings or some sort of drawings uh, back in the day. So, and then um, he became who he, who he was at the Indianapolis news. And, and that's a little bit about him. seems like the kind of thing that I would have uh, seen some examples of at the museum when I stopped by the other day and my, my <laughs> visit to Washington DC for the Purdue basketball game, um, which we obviously haven't had a chance to talk about yet this week. That was Tuesday night, the end of Purdue's losing or end of Purdue's winning streak. <laughs> it's funny. I told uh, my colleague, Brian Newbert after the game, like I always transpose those things when I'm writing, I always say, if somebody had a losing streak, I say ended their winning streak <laughs> or if somebody I do it backwards and I just did it again. Um, end of an eight-game winning streak for Purdue, a 70-56 loss. Um, I think they shot six of 36 from the field in the second half, one of 16 from three. Um, and it was a game where, you know, I, I don't think they feel like they should have won that game coming out of it, but there was some some of that in that second half. Some of when you're missing that many shots, sometimes you kind of just have to shrug your shoulders and, and move on a little bit. Yeah, no question. And uh, um, they were getting, you know, you get a combination of good shots. You have a combination of, of rush shots. You know, Maryland's defense is going to play a role in some of that. You know, you have three sides to every win and loss, in my mind. Your side, their side, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. You know, yeah. Maryland's going to say they played great defense. 
Purdue's going to say, well, and we Maryland just, did play good defense. And, Maryland, and Purdue's going to say, well, we just missed shots. It's a combination of both. It usually is, um, unless you're just sitting there missing layups left and right. You know, Purdue had a couple of balls that hung on the rim, didn't yeah. go in. Right. You know, when you're winning eight, when you when you're in your winning streak, you're at winning game number five. You those shots go in. Those the ball falls in the basket. But when you're about to end your winning streak, it doesn't go in. So it's it's the the ebb and flow of a long basketball season. And uh, I mean, they're not that bad of a shooting team, obviously, because in the first half they shot the ball well and you had 38 points. You had a comfortable lead. Um, but ended, Mar- ended on a surge, ended yeah. with those last five points, and looked like they were taking some momentum. Yeah, Maryland seemed, though, in the second half to kind of come out with a little bit more of a purpose. Um, don't know if it caught Purdue off guard, but whatever it whatever it did, I think it put Purdue back a little bit, even though they, they still continued the lead and they, um, they still had semi-control of that game as you got to the midway point of the second half, and then things could just kind of fell apart and they couldn't get a basket to fall. And, you know, you end up with the score as it is. Yeah. You know, I wrote after the game that Purdue's not going to win very often when Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein combined to go like 11 of 38 or whatever it was with yeah. no assists like right. that. Those numbers are in almost no situations are going to lead to Purdue winning. They'll maybe beat a team like Robert Morris that they had on the schedule this year or other low level teams like that, but they're not going to win big 10 games like that. You probably even at home, and now that sounds like an indictment on them. It's also somewhat an indictment on the fact that they, they still need that third, fourth consistent person to start stepping up. But then the other argument of that is, well, if they're taking that much of the offense, that doesn't necessarily leave enough. So that's one of those nights where I think they will probably look back on it as they looked at film. Um, I believe they were off yesterday, but I'm sure they're looking at film today and tomorrow and sort of breaking down some of these possessions and how they could have approached him better. And I do think it was it was Maryland coming out with a lot of intensity to start the second half, knowing that they're at home, that helps a lot of times, knowing that, you know, okay, yeah, Purdue's up by eight, but it's only eight. We're not getting our the doors blown off here. And they, you know, got the crowd into it. Things just sort of snowballed in the second half. What I think is crucial is it's been a while since Purdue lost a game, and there's still a lot at stake. They actually kind of caught a break that night when Michigan loses at Penn State. And they end the night, even though Michigan State jumps up now, it, it, it cost them a chance to be in first place by themselves losing that game. But, and, and, but they're still – and technically they're in third now as opposed to second. But they're still only a half game out of first. They're still tied in the wild card – or in the, <laughs> the loss <laughs> column with the team that's, teams that are leading the, the, the Big Ten. And for, as far as chasing a championship, it didn't change it for the worse all that much. Just eliminated a game. On the schedule, what at, the, at the end of the day, it just it, you got it got you closer to the end of the season. But you know when your when your top two scorers have those kind of numbers, uh, Purdue's not going to win a game like that unless somebody else is having a superhuman night. But that's not that's not really any different than college basketball in general. When you're right. unless you're Duke or one of those elite yeah. teams, uh, and you know we saw last year when Virginia didn't do anything. You know, one of the top seeds in the tournament, they get ousted by a 16 seed. Mm-hmm. So, when when Ryan Klein and uh, Carson Edwards have bad nights, you're Purdue's probably going to lose that game unless something else happens. But 
That's just that's what happens in college basketball, and you can go through the whole list. the The goal is okay. Yeah, you got to have better possessions at certain times. You know, you're far enough into the season, in my opinion, in February, where okay, you you're not learning lessons anymore. You just you're now you're just trying to adjust. Okay, next time you're in this position and these two guys are struggling, what else do you do offensively? Maybe to to to, to stem that or to to get somebody else involved for a possession or two. You're still going to ride those guys when you get in the second half. You'd be silly not to because they've gotten you to this point. They're going to take you as far as you need to go uh, in this season, and they're not going to have those kind of nights collectively together again. You know, they might. And it might come at the worst time. <laughs> it might come in the in the Big well, Ten yeah. tournament or the NCAA tournament. But that's when you need a Grady Eifert and you need a Matt Harms and you need some help from your bench uh, to, to help get you from point A to point B. And then hopefully those guys come out of it and then they can finish the game for you. But, yeah, in the big picture, I don't know how bad of a loss it was um, because – you're you were still in kind of the same position. You know, you started the night in one position and you ended the night kind of in the same position again. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, it gets you one game farther along in the season. <laughs> and you say that almost jokingly, but what it does is gets one on paper. It looks like the toughest game you had left by far off of the schedule. Um, so breaking down the Big Ten standings real quick, Michigan and Michigan State as of Thursday afternoon, and I can't remember who plays tonight, if anybody, but they're, they're both 11-3 and three, tied for first place. Purdue is technically in third, a half game behind them because they're only 10-3. and three. So they have one more game to play here. They have seven games left. Both of those two teams have six. The three, so those three teams, I looked up their combined Big Ten records they have left. Michigan State has four games at home, two away, and the combined Big Ten record of their opponents is 41 and 40. And that includes two games against Michigan, but everybody else is under at or under 500 in the Big Ten. Michigan has three home and three away, and they play, like I said, Michigan State twice. They also play Maryland twice, and then they have games against Minnesota, which is a, you know, in most people's estimation, it's still an NCAA tournament team right now after what happened to them last night in Nebraska. I don't know if you saw the final call of that game, but. Man. All I know is Nebraska won. <laughs> but barely. <laughs> and uh, so the combined record of the opponents they have left is 52 and 32. Uh, and then for Purdue, which, again, has seven games, and four of those are away from home. But they play one team that's 500 in the Big Ten. That's Ohio State at 6-6 six and six as of today. Everybody else has a losing record in the Big Ten that they still play. And their combined record of those teams is 30 and 62. So on paper – it's a favorable schedule. They have the most favorable schedule of the three. And you know that Michigan and Michigan state have a combined two losses to share in there in some way. So as, as bad as it looked like at the, at the end of the game, an opportunity missed, they are still in a great position here to accomplish a lot. Well, I think they are when you look at it on paper, but, but I think if you go a little bit deeper, when you look at who they have to play, you know, you're playing Indiana on the road. This is a really good tease for the thing I'm about to go right as soon as we leave this podcast. But you're playing Indiana on the road. Mm -hmm. I don't care what their record is. It's, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, just throw out the records because it's a rivalry. But that's one where you're not just going to Rutgers and you can kind of start put chalking it up as a W. That's a game that Purdue could easily lose uh, based on a lot of factors. I think going to Minnesota is very difficult, especially mm -hmm. when you looked at – how Minnesota played for the first um, 
25 minutes or so of the game here in Mackey Arena and just how Minnesota has played in general. And as you mentioned, they're probably still on the fringe of being an NCAA team. They have a lot of weapons. And as you know, you, you know, home court does mean, mean something in the, in this, uh, in this big 10 season. And if, you know, he can get on a roll there, boom, you can get to a double digit lead in a hurry. So I think they have some, you know, on paper, they're not playing any more ranked teams, but I think when you drill down deeper, you know, it, it's it, it's a challenge. It, it's going to be a challenge for this team because of, you know, they still have somewhat a, a smaller margin for error because they don't have the the individual talent that a Michigan State or a Michigan might have where guys just go, you know, you have a handful of guys on those teams that can go take over a game where Purdue doesn't, you know, they've got, they've got one guy that can go take over a game, and that's Carson Edwards. Everybody else needs – Need some uh, need some help in that regard, and if they you know if they play well together, then Purdue's you know Purdue's going to be in good shape. But um, so you know I think it, it's it's a challenge, but I think ultimately the goal for this team is to finish in the top four. You want that double buy, you know. I think you know this is kind of skirting off a little bit, but you know I do think winning a Big Ten is important. I think it's important to Matt Painter because he grew up in that era. Um, you know the fans of, that follow Purdue still value a Big Ten regular season championship even though you don't play everybody anymore. But I think there there's uh, I think it does help when you get to postseason as far as it's a separator when to the committee. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at, oh, this team won the regular season title, this team didn't. Could be the difference between being a two seed or a three seed. Yeah. Uh well we just saw in the first yeah. reveal Michigan State was the eight, Purdue was the nine on the overall seed line. Right. That could maybe that's the differentiator for coming well back and sometimes you know and sometimes as you know being a three seed is better than being the last two seed yeah based on where you get to play because right. you're getting the first choice of where, you, where you're going to go mm-hmm. assuming that the all the parameters are working out mm-hmm. so i mean so i mean there's 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 a i think there's still value in winning the in the regular season championship because i think it pushes you to a point where you, you can think of yourself as um, getting to a Sweet 16 or maybe an, an Elite 8. So, you know, you don't need to take the your foot off the gas because, you know, the regular season titles are not uh, considered, you know, valuable anymore, but they are. I, I think they are because it can lead – I think it leads to – it can potentially lead to something greater uh, down the road. Well, I think at Purdue it – especially has meaning to win a Big Ten championship. And I, I think every team wants to win a Big Ten championship. But, I, you know, having the record for Big Ten championships is one of the things that this <laughs> fan base has, that, it right. you know, it doesn't have a slew of Final Four appearances. It doesn't have a slew of national championships. Um, it, you know, it doesn't get to boast about those things, but it gets to boast about that Big Ten record. And it gets to cheer every time – Gene Cady says it in the video thing before the game, and and I, I think they they see a real it, it feels like something different to this fan base in a way that maybe it wouldn't at I don't know Wisconsin or something right. I don't know or that's not a great example I'm sure they care too but you know what I'm saying right but I just it, it's part of your overall program in Purdue it's you know you're you're going to trumpet the fact that you have the most mm-hmm. I mean it's just you, yeah, you yeah. should and every, any other school would do that yes there are bigger bigger prizes out there beyond the regular season championship. Um, it, it just, but it's something I think it, when you're in the race, you, you, you do everything in your power to try 
try to win that. And Purdue is still in a pretty good position to at least gain a share. You know, I don't, I don't know right now if we'll see somebody uh, alone at the top mm-hmm. when we get to the end. Because, uh, you know, you got to think Michigan and Michigan State are going to split. You, right. You would right. you would guess that right now, but and if know, they don't, but if John Beeline continues to get thrown out of games, that obviously <laughs> hurts. That hurts their chances. Well, well, what what Purdue fans probably want to to root for is Michigan to sweep Michigan State because Michigan has enough other tougher games on its schedule that it may still lose other games. It still has to go at Maryland and host Maryland, um, and. You know, as we just saw, Maryland's a really strong team. Um, you know, Michigan State's schedule, other than the Michigan games, is not that challenging. Ohio State, Rutgers, and and IU being the other, um, the other three, and Nebraska being the other four teams they play. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to play out like it plays out, and you can't get caught up too much right now. I think because there's still a long way to go. I mean, you got to remember, you're playing. You played twenty games, yeah, <laughs> this year, yeah, and you're you're finally getting toward toward the end of it, uh, but there's still a lot of twists and turns that 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 are going to happen. But I think for Purdue and for all these teams, um, you know, you just you want to be in that top four and you want to avoid you know that one extra day of game that maybe pushes you into that gives you a chance to get to the semifinals and then you're one game away from the finals and. And then you know, then you got to get in the NCAA tournament. You don't want to, you know. I, we've seen it a lot, and it's worked both ways. But you know, you put so much effort into the Big Ten tournament, four games or whatever it is over four days, that then you're turning around playing Thursday in the NCAA tournament. And how much do you have left? Now, I think the one year Michigan won the Big Ten tournament, they went they went deep. So yeah, you know, it can happen. It's not it's not it's not a complete negative. But you want to put yourself in the best position possible, and that's that's getting a double buy in the in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I don't know how much of a difference I see between finishing second and fourth, but I do see finishing top four as being a benefit. I mean, every year that I've been on this beat, except the first year, Purdue has gotten that double bye. They've finished third or fourth or better in, in the, each of the last four years. The whole time that last year's senior class was in, in college, they, they were able to get a double bye. And I do think it's, it's helpful. Whether or not you have a situation like last year where Vince Edwards is kind of banged up and probably needs and then probably still needed even more time than he was able to get there. Um you know that 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 would be beneficial, um, but no, I, I I agree, and I think that it, more than any of that, it, you just want to be playing well at the end of the year. And um, it, it, for Purdue's schedule, that probably means winning the vast majority of these games. Now, for someone like what the the schedule Michigan has, it can be playing pretty well and not necessarily get reflected in wins and losses the same way, just because their schedule is so much tougher. So that as a fan, if I'm looking at this, that's kind of what I'm trying to see more. It's like, oh, did we just beat? Northwestern by accident or did we go out and actually take care of that game you know what I'm saying that's the kind of things that you start to parse at this time of year because you're getting you're creeping closer and closer and closer and the Big Ten tournament starts it to the to the point where there really isn't a comeback like you you win or lose and then that's it you you, this team Purdue is pretty much is guaranteed of, of playing the NCAA tournament at this point but there's going to be some teams that aren't in that situation. We've already talked about some of them, Nebraska and maybe Minnesota. And that's the other thing to remember about, you know, this is as easy, quote unquote, as Purdue's schedule looks. You've got teams like IU and Minnesota and Nebraska that all along or, and for a good portion of this year thought they were in the NCAA tournament. And now all of a sudden they're clawing and scraping and thinking that we have to beat Purdue in order to get the kind of win 
that gets us into the NCAA tournament. And they're probably right in, in at least a couple of those instances. Well, you're, you're, you're Minnesota is definitely in that category. IU is going to need more than a win over Purdue to get back in the conversation. And Nebraska, I think, has fallen. Um, they would almost have to win out to get to 500 in the Big Ten to to get in that. And you know, they've had the key injury, and that, yeah. is, that has hurt them. But if they could show some life these last three weeks, maybe they do get back in that conversation because this is the team that they would be taking into the tournament. And that's that's what the committee will look at. They're not what they what they had before with their star player or with their score. You know, it's you know it's it's forgotten now because he's not coming back. This is the team that you're right. in the tournament, and for them to finally get a win, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's going to be too little, too late for them. But they need to get on a winning streak, and one of those games would be playing Purdue. But I think they're going to need a lot more than a lot more than just beating Purdue to to get back in that conversation. And they're also if you're not getting to get in the NCAA tournament, then you'd like to, to play in one of the other dozens of postseason right. tournaments they have. Yeah, I mean, anymore, if you want to play in the postseason, somebody will take your check. You can yes. play in the postseason. Um, what I also think, though, is with the, I was thinking about this before as you were talking about how it's a 20-game schedule now and how much more legitimate and the regular season championship feels like this year. It feels like just these two extra games, people really had to go through a grinder to earn – even a share of a championship this year, especially is how, how rugged the conference has been. And um, the, the, it's benefiting a team like Nebraska, whereas last year they got to this point of the year and they were in the same position where they're like, well, we just got to go beat somebody of consequence. We got it. And those games weren't there for them. Mm-hmm. This year they are. You look at their schedule, the way they finish. I don't have it right in front of me, but um, they have a really challenging end of the season, which they need right at this point. If they had an easy schedule coming up, with the record they have, it's definitely all over for them. Now they've got an opportunity where if they catch lightning in a bottle and they knock off the right couple of teams, they do put themselves back in the conversation just in terms of those quadrant one wins. That they, they do, but I, I just I think that's a that's a big uphill climb for it is for the team they have right now. Absolutely, for, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I just I think that's a that's a long that's a they still there's a long way to go for for them, and you know they've got uh, they've they've got some tough some tough teams that they've got to take care of. I don't yet know if we'll give you another Boilers extra to our listeners before um, before Purdue plays at IU next Tuesday, but it's it's almost unfortunate that this hasn't developed the way we all kind of expected it would this year. We thought IU was going to be a few games better than it is at this point. They've really fallen off here since Big Ten play restarted. And, you know, as Purdue surged, if you could imagine that if, if IU had continued on its trajectory and Purdue had kind of come along – um, or NIU had come, you know what I'm trying to say. If they both had sort of synced up trajectories right. this year, it would have, you know, for them to finally be playing two games again in the regular season could have made for two really special meetings. And instead, you know, Purdue's already won one of the games. And it there's some of the luster is off Tuesday's game a little bit, except for the fact, like you said, there's a lot at stake for IU, whereas there's not necessarily as much at stake for Purdue outside of the conference race. Well, yeah, but that's it. If you want to stay in that conference race and if, if you want to stay – in that top four, you know, you, you're look. You, you need to win all your games. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, I don't know if Purdue will do that. I think they've they've probably got another loss or two in them based on who where they have to go on the road. Um, so, but this is one that you you don't want to look back at at the end and go, well, if you're only taking care of IU, right? You know, it could be the difference between finishing fourth or fifth uh, in this league, or you get yourself in a cluster of tiebreakers with Maryland and some other teams that 
you know, all of a sudden you're, you're kind of on the outside and you're, you're, you're forced to play f- the potential of playing four games, uh, in four days. And, you know, I, and I think that has, you know, although the committee I think doesn't really look at conference standings when they're, when they're going through their uh, selection process. Uh, but you're, but then you're matched up against equal teams and you need, you know, you need something there. You know, to me, it's important that you finish as high as you can in the conference standings. Cause that just gives you another, a bullet, um, that a bullet point for the committee to look at to say, oh, this team was, you know, whatever, you know, fourteen and four in the or I guess, you know, you play twenty games now, or fifteen and five in the league and they yeah. were they were in third place all alone mm-hmm. type of thing. And I you know, it's just it's just another bullet point on the on the resume that 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 you can del- deliver to the committee. Uh because, you know, this is, you know you know, we have a discussion on the women's side a little bit because you know, a lot. You know, a lot of people. You know, the the women are kind of on the bubble, and you know, there's so much concern about what what other teams are doing. As long as you have games to play, mm-hmm. you control your own situation, right? And but when you stop having games to play, is when you lose complete control, right? So you know, Purdue's got a lot of games left. Should have a lot of games left where they still kind of control where they where they finish in this whole thing, not only in the Big Ten, but also in the NCAA tournament. I mean, they have an opportunity probably to move up to the two-line um, by finishing really strong and, yeah. and winning the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, but they also have an opportunity to drop to the four-line and by losing maybe a game or two that they shouldn't and kind of struggling down the stretch. So um, they, there's 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 plenty to play for for them in, in, in a couple of lights. And, I you know, I, the painter knows that. And, and I think this, at least the older guys on the team know that and understand that. I, I think it's also worth mentioning the Big Ten tournament this year, and I know we're still a few weeks away from that, is shaping up like it could just be a real Royal Rumble, like <laughs> battle royale kind of thing this year. I mean, and, and remember those quadrant one wins that we've talked about, those quad one wins and, and to a lesser extent the quad two wins. Um, if you don't know what that is, you can Google some other things I've written or I've tried to explain that. But um, – Almost everybody in the Big Ten is going to count as a quad one opponent on a neutral court, which everybody is going to be on for the Big Ten tournament. I think 12 of the 14 teams, last I checked, would count as a quad one on a neutral court um, or close to it. So it's – or 11. So, it, you know, for those teams that are in the middle of this, the Ohio States, the Minnesotas, that are, are, are really scraping, I guess you put Indiana in that category too just because it's quality of some of the wins they've had – they're going to still have every game they play is going to be an opportunity to pick up one more of those things, even once you get to the Big Ten tournament. So uh, that, that's, I think, setting up really interesting. I also did want to mention, you know, you, you talked about the top four. And when I was talking about the Big Ten race before I left off Maryland, which is only one loss behind, and now Purdue doesn't have the tiebreaker with them anymore. I didn't figure out their schedule, but I know they still play uh, Michigan twice. Um, they think they're at Iowa for one of those games. So they've got, they've got some tough games ahead too, but everybody does. That's what's made the big 10 really interesting this year. I think, you know, um, they picked a good year to go to 20 games in some ways because it, it, it has showcased this league in a, a an interesting way. Well, it's uh, the big 10 tournament. You mentioned it. The four teams that are in the semifinals are going to be really good teams, Yeah. but the four teams that just got beat the day before be could, team. you could start your own tournament and, and you would think, oh, those guys are semifinals right. in the Big Ten, and that's what that's what that's what happens when you have a deep league. It's when you have this kind of league that you know there's going to be a lot of good teams that don't make the semifinals, and 
You know, that's just, you know, it's that way, you know, it's that, it's that way in a lot of leagues, but I think especially this year in the Big Ten because there's just not a lot of separation when you go from the top to, 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 to the middle. And, as, you know, as we saw the other night with Penn State, even at the bottom, that a team like that uh, could, could jump up and beat Michigan, which they've done that before. I, I just didn't know that many people attended a Penn State game on a weeknight that they could rush the court. <laughs> at 8.30, an 8.30 start in State College usually draws barely flies. Right. I was there. I was there just two weeks ago. I mean, it didn't help that campus was shut down that day and that it was below. Uh, but you had an early whatever, start. You had, well, an early, you had a normal start, 7 o'clock start, but the weather probably impacted that crowd that night. But I'm talking about anytime Penn State has an 8 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock yeah. game, yeah. nobody goes. Right. They just, I mean, it's too far for a lot of their fans to drive. So when I saw all these people rushing the court, I'm like, where'd they come from? Did they show up at halftime? Well, <laughs> if you take – Three, four, five thousand people, and have them all spill onto a basketball court at the same time. It looks yeah. the same as if it's fifteen, because <laughs> not all fifteen of those are getting down there. Well, I understand just, they're all students too, so yeah, it's and still they just, just walk over from the dorms. It's still, <laughs> it, yeah, it's still just the student section coming right. down. So um, they can do, you know, on TV, it all looks kind of the same. It, if if it it's everybody or if it's just a few, a few hundred people. I mean, I we obviously don't, you know, root for teams, but and and I don't have a rooting interest in how this Big Ten turns out. But that was good to see for the league, I thought, that Penn State won that game. Just because that was a team that had been so close all year. And, you know, you felt for them, again, as a neutral observer, watching the way that Purdue game played out, you could kind of – I mean, you just knew Carson Edwards could go down and hit that layup. (laughs) And then somehow overtime probably wouldn't even be close, which it really wasn't. I mean, they – because I've seen it happen too many other times to Penn State against Purdue in that arena. And – for some reason, that that just follows them year after year, and uh, they're better than what this record says: nine and fifteen, two and eleven. They're a better team than that, and it's it's mm-hmm. interesting that now, having done Purdue this favor, now that's the team that comes into Macuarena yeah. this weekend. The Purdue yeah. has to do. and I will see you know because they've had a lot of hard luck this year. Can they bring that momentum with them into a place where traditionally they don't play very well, and Purdue has handled them over the years? So. As Gene Cady said many moons ago, uh, back when he was coaching, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And in Penn State's case, they're getting Purdue off a loss, which probably isn't a great situation for them. And then when you look at Purdue's case, well, they're getting Penn State off its biggest win of the year. So, uh, you know, one of those factors will come to reality on Saturday. (laughs) You know, I still think Purdue probably wins the game against Penn State, and they should win that game against Penn State. But – it's not going to be any kind of cakewalk or, you know, it, it could go, it could very well go like the first meeting went. Yeah. Look for uh, jconline.com later. Cause I'm going to kind of break down this race and you know, why, even though Purdue's like, we've just been talking about why, even though Purdue's schedule is favorable on paper, I think you can take almost game by game and see sort of some treachery in each of these games that, that is going to, you know, probably keep them, I would think motivated here to, be taking it one game at a time to use the old cliche down the stretch. Wanted to shift over to football here before we get done. Um, a couple of newsworthy items that I, I wanted to get your perspective on, but um, Ben Holt, I think this we've been seeing this coming for a while, coming over from Western Kentucky as a grad transfer. Is this the last person that 
this coaching staff is going to pilfer from Western Kentucky now that they've taken the entire coaching staff and now a handful of players over the last couple of years? I think the mascot's coming. <laughs> the little bubbly red guy or whatever, whatever his name is. Hill Topper? I'm not sure. Uh, you, you would think so. Uh, but, you know, I, as a few months ago, I was told that he wasn't coming. Hmm. It, it wasn't going to work out. Um, and I, I guess I have to apologize to, I was on the, on the, on the hammer show one day co-hosting with Clayton and he had, he had a listener had asked about Ben Holt and I, you know, at the time I'm like, no, I, I don't think he, I don't think it's going to happen. It's not going to work out based on what I was told. And now <laughs> here he is. I did not, I did not intentionally lie. I was not <laughs> hiding anything. I just, based on what I was told at the time and now, you know, Ben has told me that he's coming here. He'll be on scholarship. He'll be a grad transfer, and he'll add some depth to the um, the linebacking room, which needs some bodies. It really needs some bodies. It needs probably more bodies in the spring than it does in the fall because Cornell Jones is going to be out, and Derek Barnes is going to be your full-time Leo, which is the defensive end linebacker position. You can move him back into the linebacker spot while you work some other people there. But uh, it's a thin group. It's been a thin group for a long time, you know, you know, Ben Holt has some high production numbers at Western Kentucky, led led the team in tackles. He's 5'10", 220, so he's a strong kid. <laughs> and if he's anything like his dad, <laughs> I don't think I need to say anything more. <laughs> but, you know, he had a he had a 40-tackle edge on the number two tackler. So he was involved in a lot of plays. So, he's you know, he's going to give him – he's going to give him – he's going to give him something and going to give, you know, an opportunity to – to get another playmaker on the field. And then whether the, the kid from Michigan, the, um, the Jacob Wahlberg who committed last December, you know, he's going to be here in the summer. He won't be on scholarship until August and he'll kind of count to next year. Mm. Uh, they call that blue shirting. You know, there's all different colors of shirts that the NCAA <laughs> has. Uh, now how much can he, um, add to the mix when he gets here, you know, remains to be seen. So you're looking at a, at a freshman, but you know, last year Jalen Alexander uh, came in as a true freshman. You know, Jack Smith saw some action as a true freshman. So it's not out of the question that uh, Wahlberg gets would be involved. You know, at some level coming up in the in the spring or, or in the uh, in the fall. But you know, you still have Marcus Bailey as your as your centerpiece. Um, you know, once Cornell Jones gets healthy, it's another guy. Just you know, he has to play under control. Can't have the stupid dumb penalties he had last year, but he's a guy that can make plays for you. And then you still got Derek Barnes on the field. He's just going to be in a different, right. he's just going to be in a different position. But saying all that, they, this will, we can talk about this much later, but they need their defensive line to step up and, yeah. and, and do, do, do what they did the, during the 2017 season. And, and that, that's going to be imperative as you, as you start to, drill down on this team of what, what it can do in, in 2019. Yeah. And you know, the linebacker group seemed like a very top heavy group. I mean, you had Bailey, you had Jones, and then it just seemed like who is, you got to have more than three. You've got to have four or five guys that you really trust over the course of a season, just like it is at any position. Mm -hmm. And and they always, you talk to coaches, you talk to players, they're always talking about competition in the room. And this seems to be, I don't know how much he starts or how, where he, fits in in terms of reps but just getting the competition in the room from a guy who's a, a fifth-year guy seems like a, a an important thing it is and it's also um 
you know, with a guy like Cornell Jones, when he makes a mistake, when he made those, was making those mistakes last year, early in the year, who else were you putting in right. to really right. teach him a lesson? Right. He didn't have anybody, and Cornell's smart enough to know they ain't got nobody behind me. So right. if I want to continue to make dumb penalties, I'm going to make dumb penalties. Right. There's no accountability. There's there's a little less accountability there when you don't right. have the depth. Now, if you can get a few more bodies in there, sit a guy on the sideline, you hope you don't have to do that. You hope this through maturity that Cornell's going to be a different player um, uh, than last year as far as eliminating the silly penalties, and they did once – you know, they had their flurry at the beginning where they were getting flagged all the time, and they had some moments later in the year. But overall, they, they, they kind of fixed that problem. But it's hard to fix that problem when you don't have anybody else to put in. And that's that's the dilemma that they've, they're have they at in the linebacker position. And But those, you know, when you look at Marcus Bailey and Cornell Jones and, you know, probably Jalen Alexander to some extent now, you know, those those three guys are going to see a bulk of the bulk of the reps. Um, and they're going to be on the field a long time. And I, um, you know, I know those are at least the first two Jones and, and Bailey are guys you want on the field the, the full time. Sure. But you know, you also have to guard yourself against injuries. You have to, you know, or, you know, Cornell's not going to be in spring because he had to go under, undergo foot surgery. Uh, so he's not, he's not going to be available in the spring. So Jalen Alexander and Jack Smith are going to get some, I think some serious <laughs> rep times along with, you know, a big group of walk-ons they have right now. Is that in the long run still a net positive in some way for Purdue or do you think Jones kind of needed this spring still being a fairly young player? Himself? I think he still I th- I think um I think he needed I think he needs to practice. I think he needs to continue to practice. Um there's there's nothing like it. Um he'll he'll be behind in some regards just from a rep standpoint. Um but he's also athletic enough um, to make up for some of that. But I, I do, you know, there's still, to me, the coaching staff trust him, but only to a certain point right now. And, you know, you could sit Marcus Bailey out the whole spring and not lose anything when you got training camp. Right. You know, I, it's probably going to take Jones some time to get back caught up and will one of these freshmen equal him or surpass him? Uh, on the depth chart as we get to the end of spring. Um, and does something like that make him hungry at the end, knowing that, you know, coaches use all kinds of different oh, yeah. things. To, well, I was going to say, <laughs> we, we've seen we've seen the situation where guys coming back from injury, you know, Jawan Bentley jumps out at me where they, even though he, technically he was cleared to come back, what are you doing? Like, why, why, why put him out there in the spring and chance – yeah. doing something wrong we've also seen where you get to fall practice and Jalen robinson's number three on the depth chart and you're like wait what's going on and, and then by day two like they're you know it, a point gets made right and and guys get the hint and and um that's sometimes i wonder if that's as much what some of these camps are about in some ways as for certain guys because you know that they have the talent you know that they have the physical tools sometimes it's a matter of here your opportunities to kind of drill in some of these intangibles, some of these these other things we need from you uh, beyond just w- what you can, are physically gifted enough to do. Well, okay. let's use Marcus Bailey here. I mean, he's, he's an example of what I'm going to talk about. He understands that even what he does in spring ball, not from a Purdue standpoint, because who else is coming through the gates yes. for spring ball? This. NFL scouts. Yes. And they're going to – because he put his name in the draft – 
He put his name out there to get an evaluation. You know, they all know about him. So a lot of their eyes are going to be on him. And one thing that the younger guys, it probably hasn't clicked with is that, is that situation right there. You know, the more time I'm goofing off mm-hmm. or not going a hundred percent, playing in an undisciplined way. And right. Right. Those guys are going to pick up on that. Right. Um, because they come back multiple times. Right. <laughs> or they don't. Or, or, or yeah. they write you off and they're like, oh, there's, I don't have to go back there and look at anybody. Right. So, you know, Bailey's a guy that you can always count on. But these younger guys really have to understand if they want, you know, part of playing college football is to set yourself up to play at the next level. And all these guys want to do that. But it's not just something that happens on Saturday. It happens throughout the week, happens in spring practice. So, you know, the sooner that you get guys like that that understand that, it it makes them better, but it also makes your team better. And, you know, it, you're going to struggle with some guys like that just because on a big roster – you just you don't bat a hundred percent. One subtraction from the Purdue defense in general is Derek Jackson moving on to be the defensive coordinator at Northern Illinois, which also was a thing I think had been in the works for a while and finally just came to fruition. And in it's one of those things where I mean, certainly you miss a guy who's been with that coaching staff for a while and um, has been part of the success that they've had here. But I think it's also one of those things that's good for your program when you're losing position coaches to go be coordinators at other places. Not necessarily if, if you're if you're at a place where you're losing your position coaches to lateral moves, either because they're getting hired away or because they're jumping ship, which we saw a couple years ago. When you're seeing things like that, that's not necessarily a, a good thing. And even though this, there's some instability that goes along anytime a coach leaves, it's, it's, it's a good sign for your program, both for the quality of guys that are there and, frankly, what it's going to mean for the kind of talent you're trying to attract to replace that person. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. You want, you want to keep the continuity. You want to keep all your, all your guys together because you are having success here at Purdue. And, you know, Derek Jackson was involved in the recruiting a lot of, especially the defensive guys that got here. Um, you want to keep it together because it works and it has worked, but the price, you know, the price of some success is you're going to lose guys. And, you know, each assistant coach has a different career path they want to get on. And, you know, Derek wants to be a coordinator and, you know, he knows the head coach at Northern Illinois worked with him back in 2005. So when he got that head coaching job, that was, you know, a natural fit for him. Um, but for his upward mobility, to take a coordinator's job and also get, um, I believe he got a title as assistant head coach mm. who's going to work with the safeties. It's, it's another movement for him. Now, you know, he can, he can take uh, being a, a de- defensive coordinator at a Mac program and go be a defensive coordinator at a Power 5 program now if they, you know, if they have the kind of success that, you know, they think they're going to have. And then maybe one day that leads to a, a head coaching job if that's, if that's his goal, you know, I think he's going to take less money out of this, but I think, you know, he's on, you know, he's on the front end too of a staff. It's a new staff. You know, you're not going to get fired in a year if you go two and 10. So, you know, you, they've got some years there to build up some things. You're not coming in in the back, you know, all the coaches that you were talking about coming in in the back half of Daryl Hazel's tenure where, yeah, probably going to be here one year. I mean, it's right. not you know, you usually got guys that got fired from another job or released from another job, just looking to to get a job for a year, and then 
you know, move on after that. Right. Families what, sometimes don't even move those sorts right. of things. Right. Where, where Derek Jackson is on the front end of this, this staff, everybody relatively, you know, is new. You know, I don't know if every person on the staff is new, but you got time to build some stuff at Northern Illinois. And I, and I always considered him one of the better teachers on the football field. Now we get some access that uh, other people don't get as far as being able to watch practice during the season. But just the way that he coached and taught the cornerbacks, I thought was, um, you know, he's usually pretty level-headed. Um, it was more about teaching to him, teaching the techniques and explaining why the play went right or wh- why the play went wrong to his cornerbacks and taking that time. I did notice last year, though, he got pretty heated. <laughs> he was pretty, he, he was in the uh, heated range a lot during fall practice, but I also think it's that was – a Nicole influence. Yeah, thing. well, I would also think that was part of a bigger picture where, yeah, you guys went 7-6 and six last year and you beat Arizona in the bowl game, uh-huh. but – you guys really got to ramp it up right. this year. I think that was more of a – I noticed that in last year's fall camp, that was more of an overall theme, not just one guy. But I, I just – I have a high opinion of Derek and um, and how he went about his business and how he coached his guys. Um, and, I, you know, I think he has the demeanor to be a really good coordinator because I, I think he's pretty level-headed. He doesn't get emotional um, and, can, you know, be able to process not only the play that's happening – but the two plays that are coming down the road to be able to put his defense in a, in a good position. Well, we've all seen videos of Jeff Brom and what he does to chairs and, <laughs> and, and various things before games. We, we know Nick Holt's reputation. Anybody who's been outside within like a, a mile radius of the Bimal complex on a fall afternoon has heard Jamarcus Shepard. So sometimes you have to raise the volume as Derek Jackson <laughs> probably just to – to be heard at all in, in some ways that's maybe he's just raising up to, and he's not, those aren't the only ones on no. that coaching staff that can, can bring some volume. Well, and he had a position where he's rotating guys in and out. He's got, he had two fifth year guys, yeah. Tim Case and Antonio Blackman, who, <clears throat> you know, not great players, but this is what you got. Um, and then he's trying, he's got two red, Richard freshmen and Diedrich Mackey and, and Kenneth major, trying to get in there. I mean, he's, he had the balance of young and old last year, and there was a lot of rotation of guys. It wasn't it wasn't a set lineup every week. Um, if guys didn't perform in practice or in the games, then he made a he made a change. Now, you know, I'm told that Jeff Brown was wants to keep the same setup on defense, where you have a safeties coach and a cornerbacks coach. But I think a lot of that is also dependent on who's available. I mean, if you can get I guess the greatest safeties coach in the world to come to your program, mm-hmm. then you'll do some shuffling. And I don't know if it's necessary that they have somebody in place by spring, that start of spring practice, because obviously Poindexter could, could coach the secondaries. Right. Um, but, you know, I think it's important for Jeff that he get the right person, they get the right fit here. You know, they all have connections. They're all kind of tied together in some, you know, you see those commercials for, you know, Family histories and all that. Yeah, they're all. They're you all. You can play just, fifth degree of five. <laughs> they all six degrees yeah. of Kevin Bacon. You can yeah. play six degrees of Jeff Brom. Or yeah, they all know each, six yeah. degrees. They all know each other from something, and <laughs> so you just you start calling around trying to figure out who you, who you who you can get who will be a good fit for your staff. And I, uh, to me, the major questionnaire is um, does does the recruiting duties fall to somebody else as far as the title. Or does the new person coming in assume those duties as the 
defensive recruiting person because uh, Jamarcus is kind of the offensive recruiting guy. Um, I mean, they're all under the umbrella of a bigger recruiting, you know, uh, person. But um, in a lot of ways, they're the first or second contact that that uh, that recruits are, are talking to and um, and just formulating a plan of who you're going to, to go after. So there's a lot of moving parts to this. And but they, you know, I think they've known about this for a while too. That I I would expect them to have a a new coach in by the, the start of spring. Gotcha. Well, we do not expect to have a rotating lineup here. It'll probably be me and Mike back here next week talking Boilers Extra. I got road games to Bloomington and to Lincoln, so very different uh, travel itineraries, but hopefully we can sneak one in in between there. So thanks for joining us. Um, follow us on Twitter. I'm at InBearedJC. He's at Carmen underscore JC. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, uh, I think I'm forgetting a couple, but um, come to jconline.com. The, the, all the links are there. You can subscribe, download, rate us, get, send us all the feedback, uh, and, and tell us what you want to hear and uh, if you like what you're already hearing. So thanks a lot, and we'll be back next week with more Boilers Extra.